Well, good morning and welcome Touch Heaven. Those here in the house, and those visiting or coming back to see us, thank you. We give a special shout out to Colt. Hey, Colt, how you doing, buddy? Colt, you're my man. You don't like coffee at your age. That's a good guy. I said, Colt, you want some coffee? He goes, no. But I didn't ask him. I didn't go down the list with some other things. I want to say hi to those of you who are watching online and joining us from the diaspora, the Touch Heaven diaspora out there. Hi, uh, Bishop Vincent. Thank you for that wonderful exhortation that you sent to us a few days ago. We appreciate that. Pastor Tori in India. Uh, SK from uh, Singapore wrote me this morning and sends his love, and I told him to tune in, and he said he would. So hello, SK. Bless you. And um, I noticed we don't have Anwar in the house. Was it that someone didn't pick him up, or I don't know. We have to send Uber to go get him. I don't know what happened. Huh? He was too busy last night. And uh, we just want to thank everybody for, for your faithfulness, both in the serving in this ministry and in this house and in the kingdom of God, first and foremost. Let's cover in prayer, please. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've already done for us. Now we've come, Father, to ask you to impart into us Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, mind of the Father. Impart into us those gems of knowledge to help us to grow and mature and to shift us and move us and prompt us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word, for your foundation. We thank you, Lord, for the move of your Holy Spirit. We bless you, Heavenly Father. Let everything that is said and done be unto your glory and your glory alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Do you need to look at this a moment? Is it messed up? Okay. This is my new, uh, well, it's an old tool, but... I've, I've renewed it, and uh, hopefully hopefully they get it in here so we can use it. We, we began a series a couple weeks ago on baseline faith, and uh, it is scriptural, of course. Everything that we pursue and say and done must be grounded in the Word of God first and foremost. And we are pursuing the discovery of growing our faith. You got to go back there and catch the internet. boy, Boy, you catch it good. So, uh, baseline faith. First and foremost, it's important for us to recognize as we're discerning and establishing uh, our faith that I'm going to give a, a very quick review and summary. The very first revelation we have of faith really comes without us even knowing. It's when we're first born and further on. We begin to have faith in people and in this instance, it's typically the child, almost always, in fact, I can't think of a circumstance not, that is bonding with the mother spirit. And beyond that, we see that there then becomes little steps of faith. And those little steps of faith begin to develop the spirit of faith. Thank you. And what we have learned is through the word of God, that wisdom and knowledge is imparted to us by a spirit, it says in Ephesians. There's the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Now, we know ultimately that the mind of Christ is that spirit working in all of our minds, imparted through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and we understand that the Godhead and the Father are spirit, and that we must learn to worship them, to know them, to understand them in spirit and in truth. So... Our exercise, our discipline, our discovery, our journey is to what? It's to bring our mind into alignment with spirit, his spirit. Now, I want to, is this on already? I don't see it on the screen. What do I do to put it on the screen? There it is. Okay. I took a lot of time this morning drawing this, so I want you to appreciate it. Uh, one of these days, we're going to learn how to use my stylus, and then it'll be able to work very well. But uh, as you can see, baseline faith, baseline faith right here. Of course, our faith should not be linear. Our faith should have dimension. Our faith should be growing and forever growing. And our faith should also be able to rely upon our foundations 
that we have first of all come to know God with and then secondly have been building. But above all, we cannot lose sight of this. Our faith is because of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Christ is what establishes the heights and the depths of our faith, as Paul would say, that we might know the heights and the depths. He calls it the love of God, but the love of God is equivocated to the, our faith in God because without his love and without us loving him, then faith does not exist. So let's just look for a moment in Colossians. And I want to take us to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And I'm going to read a few scriptures because I want us to grasp the totality of the preeminence of Christ in all of these things. First scripture, verse 15, Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. Let's shift back right a moment to Genesis 1.26. And we understand that the foundation of the word of God is from the beginning of the word of God to the last page of the word of God. So what, what Paul is drawing upon is what? The foundation that he had in Torah and in the books of Moses about image. And all of a sudden, Paul, born again, gets the revelation of the real image of God again. Then God said, back in creation, let us make man in our image, emphasis image, according to our likeness. Image and likeness are not exactly the same, but you can't have one without the other in Christ. The image of God is what constitutes our being? God is what? Three persons. What is man? Man has three intrapersonal beings. Man has soul, which encompasses our mind. Man has flesh, which is our body. And man has spirit, which is our life and our spirit in God. Now, when man is born here, without being born again, what we understand is we still are in the image of the original creation of God, less spirit of God. You still have body. You still have soul. You still have mind. The soul lives forever. It's just a matter of where does it go. The soul that dies, right, that sins must die. And spiritual death, we understand, is hell. But the soul that lives shall have eternal life. And so what we pursue is what? Life. And Romans tells us, especially in Romans 8, as Paul gave us this revelation, that there's a, a cry that's going on inside of the very spirit of every man crying out to wit, the word says, for the adoption as sons of God. Crying out because this spirit that is not reborn again in Christ is an orphan spirit. It doesn't belong in the image that it was created in. It's a rascal. It's a rebel. It's a renegade. It doesn't have its place in that which God had created for as sons and daughters and children. So now Paul flashes us forward and he tells us, in Colossians and some other uh, uh, Pauline epistles. Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, don't separate that between the born-again creature and the unborn-again creature. Christ, what? Through him all things are created and nothing without him is created. So yes, everybody owes their life here on earth to God. Nobody got here any other way, right? We all owe it to God. However, we understand through the separation that came without getting in the whole Adamic fall and sin that there required Christ to come and to cross that great abyss so that once again, we could be what? Reborn into the image and also the likeness of God. Now, this time... The image has three persons, but the spirit 
is no longer a dark spirit that's an alien. The spirit is life that is a child. And as a child, all of the promises and inheritance of God are deposited into the capacity of the spirit that we have in Christ. So Paul says, the preeminence of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him, by him, all things consist. That's an important concept to allow to soak into your spirit. There is nothing, nothing that can run foreign to Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to get philosophical with me and become a debater, you could say, but pastor, how about evil? Well, some people don't like it, and Western Christianity has come up with its own form of gospel that says that you know, God doesn't do evil, God didn't create evil, but yet he's the one he says in the scriptures very clear, I'm the God who created good and evil. Nothing could consist without God. Now, we could get into causation, which I'm not going to waste our time with, and say, well, was it because he allowed it to go or because he made it to go? Does it really matter? God is sovereign. And so all things are of God. Why do I say this? Because when we come to the place that we don't exclude God for many instances in our life, it's at that place that we can accept the peace and rest of God. When we want to exclude God out of circumstances in our life, then who are we including? Chance? Random? Evil? We fight what? Against three things all the time. We fight against the world. He said, we are in the world, but we aren't of the world. And the book of Revelation gives us some really glimpses into the spirit of Babylon that's operating in the world system, into the spirit of money and changing and lust and all of the different forms that come upon the world system that are what? They're a nemesis to the kingdom of God for the most part. Most of the world doesn't conform at all to God. And then we have our flesh. And that's probably the most difficult one of all because we call it ours. And whatever is ours, we want to hold on to and we think we have a right and a privilege to. That's my right. That's what I want to do. That's how I've done it. That's how my, my father did it. That's how my mother did it. That's how I was taught. The flesh always uses a pronoun. And very often does it not say we, including God. So the flesh is always promoting itself. And then finally, we know we must fight and overcome evil. And evil is real. It might be invisible or it might manifest in a person. Interesting, I was teaching a Bible study a little while ago, and I made a comment that, you know, God created everybody and everything, and that Jesus Christ died for everyone, so that whomsoever shall call upon the name shall be saved. I said, it's hard for me to fathom in my mind that knowing that Christ didn't die in a vacuum, he didn't die in a moment in history spiritually. Spiritually, his soul was made sin that had never sinned, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Is that not the word of God? And the soul that sins must And the soul that dies goes where? To hell. A lot of people have a hard time with that, but you see, to me, I have a consolation with that because now I know that he paid the ultimate price. One of the questions I asked early on as the Lord saved me because I was really overcome with finding peace with God, not so much redemption. I didn't understand that word. It was atonement. And as I went on my religious quest coming out of my journey in the world, my sojourn in the world, my quest was to find out atonement. How is there atonement? 
I couldn't get the answers from the rabbis. They turned me to Midrash. They turned me to reasons why nothing had to be sacrificed anymore because the temple had been destroyed. But I couldn't find it in the word. I couldn't find it in the Torah and not even with the prophets. I couldn't find anywhere where it said that atonement was no longer necessary. In fact, it just increased my desire and my anxiety about needing atonement. And in that sense, as I was into that sojourn, one of the questions that I asked once I accepted Christ, which was a big leap of faith because I didn't do it with really knowledge, Christian knowledge. I did it with the fact that he told me that he was the God that had been speaking to me. And at that moment, it was just, okay, let's go. And in that instance, one of the first questions I asked, I said, I'm having a trouble listening to Christians who are telling me that you died for my personal sins. I wasn't born. How did you, I didn't have sinned yet, did I? Where were my personal sins at that point? And what happens if some of them didn't get covered? You know, I just asked normal questions. Is there some outside the camp that I need to worry about? Do we have to have another process here? Should I continue on with something? And, and then I realized, as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and he spoke to me in more or less a philosophical term, because that was my background. That's my degrees are in philosophy and in a minor in religion and in political science. Go figure that out. It causes a lot of confusion. And in, in philosophy, we always were concerned about what? Moments in time and time in moments and how do things translate from the, the, the physical to the abstract or, if you will, from one dimension to another dimension. So time to me was a finite dimension, but yet I understood there was an infinite time that was beyond my comprehension. But then the Lord spoke this to me, and it all claimed in. He said, time is in me. I'm not in time. Wow. Time is in me. I'm not in time. And then I recalled what the prophet Isaiah said. And the Lord spoke through him, and he said, I am your God, and I am the God. When you were there, I am there now. And in your presence, I am here now. And when you're in your future, I am there now. And all of a sudden, it lightened up to me, and I realized Isaiah wasn't speaking historically. He was speaking spiritually. God is in our past and in our present and in our future. That's why very little said about it, but he's the God who redeems our time. He redeems everything from the beginning of our life till now and even before we were born when we were a creation in his book of life, written in there before the beginnings of the framing of the world. And if time is in God and God is not in time, then that means that Jesus Christ and we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one and they are in each other correct? They are in each other. That means that when Jesus Christ left this moment in time and journeyed into the abyss of eternal hell, in that place, he was able to suffer for all my sins that were 2,000 years in the coming yet, and yours too. And he was able to take all of our sins and pay the price for them, because according to the law, there must be a price paid or else the word of God that's in the Torah is not true. But let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. And so in this word, it says that there's a price to pay. There must be something that's paid for atonement. And we know by the word of God that we have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for me and for you with his blood. And he did it with an eternal sacrifice. He didn't do it with a finite sacrifice. He didn't do it so that we would have to wonder, how does this continue on? He did it once and for all. And he took the keys from eternal hell and took power over them. The keys are still eternal. It's just that the curator is now Jesus Christ himself. And in that basis, he not only died for my sins on a Christ, he paid for that price for me in hell. And yes, we see it in the period 
depends on what you want to accept. Was it from sundown on Friday before the Sabbath and then on Sunday morning, which really wasn't three days, or was it three days and on the third day he arose? How does God go with days? In God's timing, in God's timing, it was the half measure of man. Man is number six. The half measure of man is three. This is some fresh revelation for you. Three over six is one half, right? Jesus Christ, it says, with him, we are baptized into his death, but we are resurrected into his life. The half that died is the old man. The half that resurrected is the new man. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. And so we understand the price was paid, and that's a celebration. We should just give the Lord a hand right now and thank him. Thank him that Jesus Christ paid the price. And because he did, then we can go back to my very intricate drawing that I got up very early in the morning to draw that you don't seem to appreciate very much. But you should. Wow, I didn't realize I used that much. Baseline faith. Look who's at the top. Who is it? Jesus. Look who's here. Jesus. Jesus is the foundation and Jesus is the expectation. Jesus is the cornerstone right there. And Jesus is the all in all. And in him we live and move and have our being. So all of a sudden, what might have been out of reach what might have been difficult to wonder, how do I get there? How do I grasp it? What do I need to do? You're already there. You're right in the center of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, why don't we live like it? It's because we don't have the revelation and we don't activate it in our lives. And so the whole focus of this series is to help us to develop our baseline faith and to have it grow. Grow from just saying God is. That's good. But the devils believe in God. And to grow it from saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's better. But the devils know he's Lord. We must live the fact that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. I finally was able to realize and understand, yes, he is my personal Savior. It was very important to me. It was important to me to know that he can be everybody's personal Savior. And that that's the whole reason why he gave his life. And so I come back to that very strange confrontation I had recently in a Bible study. I'd made a comment. I said, you know, I don't know why the Lord died for everybody. He's such a gracious God. I can't fathom that. I said, because I can tell you there's a few people I don't think I could die for I don't think I could die for Hitler. I, just, I, I mean, you could say you would, but I want to see you get on the cross and do it. You'd probably say, you know what? He deserves. Let him go to hell. Right? Yeah. Or how about Attila the Hun? Or how about the Romans that cut off the heads of the apostles? I mean, you know, let's face it. Let me say what you're afraid to say. They should burn in hell. Should we say that or shouldn't we say that? I'm getting some putrid looks over here. I'm just real. And so I said, I, I think that's one guy who didn't deserve to live. And the man came up to me with a very strange, no, no, he says, really, it wasn't Hitler's fault. I said, what? He said, no, it wasn't Hitler's fault. He was, he was a product of his times, and he was a product of his teachings. I said, sir, he was a product of hell. And I said, you know, it's very easy for us to say that we don't have a will and that somebody or something caused us to do something very evil. But my word tells me we have a will. And it tells me that we have power over that will. And when we allow that will to be empowered by then something other than God, disaster strikes. And then as I was praying about that, a couple days ago, 
without naming a name or a person, I said, Lord, that was strange. And, and, and two letters came in front of my eyes, W.S. I said, W.S.? He goes, yes, white supremacist. I said, wow, that's a core belief of white supremacists. That Hitler was a product of his time, wasn't really a bad guy, and that the issues that he dealt with are still outstanding today. What is that called? That's evil. That's evil. And I realized that my guard was down a little bit. I wasn't discerning the spirit. But then once I discern the spirit, I know how to pray for that man. I need to pray for that man that his ill-guided foundation gets fixed because it's dysfunctional. And that's what happens when our foundations become tainted by philosophies, vain philosophies, the word says, and the rudiments of men's thinking. Because then it's subject to time. It's subject to circumstances. It's subject to whatever we want it to be. It must be a firm foundation in the word of God with a faith that's based upon the supernatural spirit of God. Without those, we falter. That's why what we teach, one of the founding disciplines of our university, founding disciplines of this ministry for years, is that we build upon, and you've heard it so many times, you say, is he going to say it again? Yes. We build upon the firm foundation of the Word of God with fresh revelation. Why fresh revelation? Because if your foundation is never seasoned with fresh revelation, it becomes stagnant. It doesn't grow. You're supposed to grow. Your body grows. You didn't get born and then stay in the same element physically, mentally, and every other end that you should be in. There are, unfortunately, children that do not grow physically or mentally out of that realm. And we understand that those are children that we call gifted, but the blessed God, you know, they are a huge burden on their families, and, and, and they never do get to that point until they see Christ. But you weren't made that way. You grew. Look at you. And spiritually, from the moment that we're born again, all that is is a seed. That's not the end of it all. And so that's the beginning of redemption. Do you know another way of saying redemption? Reconciling. And so let's go back to Colossians for a moment. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And let us take in the word that he said. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Next scripture. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and in invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created, and let's go back through this, through Jesus. Not by Jesus. There's a different word for that. Through Jesus. You know why that word's important? Because it tells us through Paul, that the Holy Spirit is forever working and that through the Holy Spirit, the blood is purging all things. Through the Holy Spirit, the blood is purging all things. So let me, since I'm pushing some pricks on the cactus, let me do a few more. If you're not going to like me, you may as well not like me for a lot of reasons. So I, <laughs> ask me if I care. I do care, but I don't care, I'm being honest. So is the blood working for you? Always. Purging through the blood. How many times do you ask Jesus to save you? Hmm? If you have knowledge, once. If you're scared and you want to ask them every service, that's okay, but it doesn't change the fact that you were saved the last service. Am I right? Right? How many times does he wash you with the blood? Once. Yet we ask him for the blood all the time. Why? Because our foundation of faith needs to accept that everything for you is being purged through the blood. Not because you do it, because he's done it. 
You understand? Why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because if we begin to put obstacles in our foundation of faith, and we begin to say, for me to get to here, which is what? Him supplying all my needs according to his riches and glory, then we begin to say, there are things I need to do to get there. And one of them on my ladder rung is, I need to plead the blood. No, you don't. You don't need to plead. You can. It's okay. And you can ask Jesus to save you every week if you want. But you don't need to. And here's why I bring this up to you. Because part of my call, my passion, is to help people to grow into spiritual giants. It's to help you to be so established in the things of God that you don't need to regurgitate the things of God as a ritual in our lives. I'm a little sensitive to rituals because I came out of a life, a season of rituals. More rituals than I would suggest almost any of you have ever done. I doubt any of you have ever gone and built an altar and made sacrifices on it to find God. I doubt any of you have gone through the cleansing rites of a Levitical priest. I doubt any of you had made the meal and eaten the meal of a priest. I doubt that any of you had separated yourself from anybody and everything for one year. I doubt that. I went through those rituals. I went through that legalism. I thought that would help me get to where I needed to be. And let me tell you something. When Paul said in Galatians 3, oh, ye bewitched Galatians, who has taught you these doctrines again to take you back into legalism when you have the grace of God? When that finally soaked in my head, it was two years after I knew Jesus, I was still battling legalism in my head. And when I was set free, all of a sudden I was set free. And I passionately fight for that freedom in Christ. I will not let it go to anybody or anything. Because now the foundation of my faith is you're my all in all. You've done it. Don't let me add to it and I can't take away from it. Lord, you don't need me to tell you to do what you've already done. I need to accept it. And that's my foundation baseline of faith. And when I do, all of a sudden, I'm not begging God. I'm not pleading. I'm not wrestling with demons and principalities in every facet of my life. I say, I'm a child of the king. I walk blood-washed all times. My, the blood is purging everything through Jesus Christ. And if I sleep or I'm awake or I get it or I don't get it, he's still doing it. He doesn't need me to get the paintbrush out and tell him what to paint with his blood. He's got it all going through him. And if you're going to touch me, you got to go through the blood. Or you can't get me. And the only way you get me is when I put my guard down and I interrupt my baseline faith. Beloved, we don't need to climb rungs on a ladder to get to the blessings of God. We just need to say, here I am. That's how easy he made it for us. And that's why we don't stop with the, the simple, wonderful revelation to be saved. That's, that's, that's life-changing. I'll never reduce it. But that's just the start of our walk. That's not the completion. He is our all in all. And he's constantly working to complete us as we've been completed. Does that make sense to you? If you're in Christ, is there anything that Christ has that's not in you? Are you? Let's look at something. One of my favorite teaching chapters, John 17. You know, you may, yeah, I haven't seen this guy in six months. He's back to this stuff. Yeah, because it's a foundation of faith. And sometimes we need to go back and remember the foundations so that we can grasp those new things that God's given us. Don't, don't think differently. I get excited about fresh and new revelations. That, that burns my passion. That pushes my buttons. That's what I pursue. I'm always looking for those gems, those gems I can dig out of the Word, those gems that I can dig out of revelation, the gems that the Holy Spirit drops into me, the corrections, the learnings. Nothing excites me more. Nothing excites me more than that. I just, I give everything up for that. John 17, let this focus into you. And I know 
Some of you have gotten it, but I never told you it was your baseline faith before. The Lord started me on this series. And at first, I thought it was well, just a message. He said, no, son. He said, this is part of what I've raised you up to do. I want you to help people to be able to become strong enough to be overcomers. Why do we need to be overcomers? We're in a very dark world, beloved. Our children are under assault. They're trying to steal the legacy of the seed of Christ. Our teachers are under assault. Those teachers who love God, they're vulnerable. They're out to get them. School boards are afraid to speak truth. It's not about political words about cancel culture. It's about a spirit of antichrist. And I don't care if they print me of that because, in fact, I hope they do. Because then they, they expose me to people I otherwise wouldn't speak to. I like it when the witches in England fire up because right wing puts my name in and they start sending me stuff. Because I know that I'm provoking them. We're under assault. We need to be made strong to overcome. And the only way we're made strong is by getting that baseline faith. I wrote something. And I, I wrote it for uh, this week. And basically, what I said was that when our baseline faith is so formulated, I'm paraphrasing myself, so formulated that it becomes instantaneous in every act that we think and do, then it becomes a safety net to the random circumstances of our lives. When your baseline faith is so structured that you already have a response for what's thrown your way, it's your safety net. You will not fall. You will not all of a sudden come into panic. You will not allow fear to overcome you. Yes, you'll have to resist it, but it will flee because you already have your safety net built into whom you are. Beloved, we're at that point. We're at that point, as John the Revelator said, where these saints are those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony is no good if it's even six months old. It's no good if it's even a year old. My testimony of when I came to the Lord is 41 years old. Who would have thunk it? I don't feel old. I feel young. I feel like I'm getting younger every day. I know I haven't finished my race, so age doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to me. All that matters to me is where's my race? What's my high calling? And if you ask me, Frank, put a mark on that where it is. I don't know, so I'll do it like this. Where'd I go? Oh, it's there. I don't know. I don't know where it is, but I know I haven't finished it. And I know that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, not for what I think I need, but for what he knows I need to do what he's given me to do. Needs are very subjective, aren't they? They're really subjective. They're subjective to the moment, the time, to our own lack of understanding, our own impatience. I was thinking back this morning, and I was thinking about our needs as a family, as a ministry, back in 2010 and 2011. We were in Miami, and as you know, I was serving as the Gentile pastor of the largest Spanish church in America, and it grew and grew and grew and grew, and uh, I enjoyed it. I got to preach and teach. I didn't have to bury anybody, which I don't mind, but I didn't do those things. I didn't, I married only a few, those that we agreed to. I wasn't required to do all of the different things that many of the people on staff had to do. God gave me favor, but also a deep responsibility. And you know, there's epiphanies in our life, there's moments. There's things when they happen, we know that we know that we know that we know, especially looking back, wow. The one that lifted our family up 
as our children were young and took us from Canfield, Ohio, just a couple miles from here. If we hadn't lived there, I would have never been doing a prayer walk around this church. And the only reason I did a prayer walk around this church is because it got my mileage in to get me, swing me back around and boomerang me back to my house while I was praying. And I wouldn't have seen a sign go up that says for sale. My heart wouldn't have sunk as I felt the Holy Spirit being saddened and grieved that this house was being sold and that it could end up in the hands of a realtor or a funeral home director or something. Or even worse, as I saw a church out on 46 that has a soothsayer in it telling fortunes that bought it, lighting incense to a false god. And my heart sunk. And I remember sort of luring my wife and saying, honey, let's take a walk. And the next day or two, we began to walk, and we walked around this church. And I said, look at that sign. She goes, yes, why would they sell the church? I said, yeah, Lord. <laughs> and we called and checked. And then the Lord spoke to us. He said, I want you to buy that church, and I want you to hold it and keep it for the kingdom of God. We didn't really have the money for it, but... He didn't stop us. They took some paper. We took a loan. We put some money down. We bought the church. And then what? The plan we had didn't work. And in the midst of that, a year later, he speaks to us. And he says, I want you to move to Florida. It's like, what? We just bought this church. Just built my house. I got a business here. I want you to move to Florida. And then little things began to happen. Well, there's a plant down there that needed my help to turn it around. So, okay, that made a good excuse to go. Uh, we put our house for sale, didn't sell. We went down there, bought a house. And all of a sudden, the whole roof caved in. A takeover of my company. I went from owning it to, to being expelled by Hawk. Our house didn't sell. Financial crunch. The church payments, I let somebody come in here to use it. They destroyed it. The house was falling down. And God began to put different needs. And my wife, teacher, got a job at the Christian school so our kids could go to school because the school was terrible. Me, I was going nuts because all I've done is work all my life. Now I'm in a foreign place. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make a living. God began to move it, change it. And somehow, by the grace of God, with two house payments, a church payment, a family in Florida on her salary, which was how much, honey? 25000 a year. We made it with hospitalization. And when we came out of that two and a half years later, we asked each other, how did we do that? And we couldn't answer we had no answer for it. We had no answer for it. And guess what? We only knew it was God. God put us in one Spanish church. Nobody there spoke English. We'd go and it was like, okay, I guess we're going to learn Spanish. But it was biblical Spanish that I was learning. I was reading the Spanish Bible. Hard to speak. And then God says, Amen. Start an English service here. It takes off. It grows. The pastor, he becomes like Saul. Tries to kill me multiple times spiritually. I say, Lord, what are we doing? My wife, about two years in, she says, our house didn't sell. You think we should go back? <laughs> Rationally, that would have been the right thing to do. The Lord said, no. Seven years later, Puts me in a different ministry. Same thing. Nobody speaks English. Bigger ministry. Come the Gentile pastor. Grows and grows and grows. God meets our needs. They were different needs than we thought we had because it was his calling, not our calling. And then he tells me on a transatlantic flight, coming back from Turkey, casting out demons and Binding principalities with Marilyn Hickey and Guillermo Maldonado and, and Monty Irfan and just 
working really hard and I'm tired and I'm wore out and it happens to be Sukkot in the beginning of the new year, the Jewish new year, so I'm writing a list as I do. Lord, what would you have me to do this year? And I get to 32 and I get to 33, the number of the Lord's lashes. And I put on it Camfield Church because by then they're telling me it's condemned. They're going to criminally indict us for an unsafe building. I said, Lord, you told me to buy it. I gave it to these people to use. They ran it down. They abused it. What do you want me to do? And then he spoke. I want you to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What? I want you to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I said, Lord, now I know you've seen the church. Why don't we knock it down and build something new? I know how to build. I said, son, he said, a lot of salt and blood and tears of the kingdom went in that house. That's my house. Rebuild it. Hmm. Okay, Lord, then what? I turn it over again to these charlatans and they tear it back down again. And You know, I found out there were other churches having church in here and we didn't even know it. Did you know that? I've run into people who said, we were going to church there. I said, really? Yeah, it was, I won't name them, two other churches were spawned from this church that I didn't even know. I think the other guy was charging them money. I don't know. Somebody was doing something. Wasn't us. We never made a dime. Still have it from this church because it's God's. Come back. The Lord says, okay, Lord, we're going to rebuild it. What are you going to do with it? Quiet, nothing. Praying, praying, middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Hickey's over here. Maldonado's over here. I'm here. They're snoring. I'm awake. I'm looking out the window. Lord, what are we going to do? Nothing. Then the back of my neck starts to get hot. Oh, when the Lord makes my neck hot, I know I'm about to get a shellacking. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. What is it? What is it? He said, you go back and you pastor. Lord, got a business, got employees, got a house, pastor of a church. Do you want me to go back to Canfield and pastor this fallen down piece of junk and rebuild it? Yes. So what do you do? Lord, you know my heart. Why didn't you tell me this? Back in 1999, we just saved each other a lot of headaches. You know what he said? Because you didn't ask me. I went to the only place I could go on an airplane and not wake up the rest of the cabin. I went into the bathroom, stayed there for about 45 minutes, weeping and crying and repenting. And I felt the mantle come upon me for this house. Came out of there. I said, okay, Lord, mano a mano now. You and me. Okay, you, you, you smacked me. You told me to get myself up and gird myself up like a man when I was wallowing and wanted to die on the sacrifices. So here I am, man to man. You, you got to tell my wife. Fear God, fear wife, right? <laughs> Why are you laughing, Pastor? <laughs> I get home. How did it go? I'm sharing it with her. We get down to the 30, 32, and I said, in Canfield, the Lord spoke to me about it. She goes, yeah, we're supposed to go back there and start that church. I said, what? She goes, yeah, the Lord spoke to me this morning. We're supposed to go back there and start that church. Next week, Jet blue. We flew up. We came into the church. 
I thought she was crying, but she wasn't crying. It was that all of the fumes from the church were burning her eyes. And she and say Reese and about three or four of us walked in and they couldn't breathe. Their eyes were like this. They started swelling. And I said, okay, y'all leave. And me and brother Gary and Ross and another guy, we started to rip everything that was out here and stick it in the parking lot. I said, you don't come back in here until I tell you. After we pretty much cleaned it of all the stuff and the water was still coming through the ceilings. No, no heat, no plumbing, everything just destroyed, all the, all the wood warped. Before we started rebuilding it, we started having. Get the microphone on. Tell them what this date is. When did we start? We started coming, actually, in... 2011 we started coming back and forth and I don't know when you restarted building the church 2010 2011 Jim, Jim Mariotti was a big part of that too thank you Jimmy he was in here with a gas mask I think because the mold was so bad you couldn't breathe it was bad 2011 but we had our grand opening on June 12th 2012 with Paul Wilbur Yesterday, I forgot to announce, yesterday was our anniversary of having services of our grand opening of nine, nine years. Yeah, and nine actually, years. Actually, you know, we, we did have, it's 10 years that we started meeting in the fall. We started meeting in the fall. But. So we're just on the edge of our completion. I'm expecting some wonderful things for the house, for you, for the ministry, because 10 is a number of completion. Ten is a number of kingdom. Ten is a number that you begin again. It's new beginnings. Old things pass away, all things are made new. So it's important we build on the foundation. So, to conclude, this morning I did a little accounting. My accounting was how the Lord met every need while we pursued what he told us to do. And I'd love to tell you we had a clear vision and understanding. We did not. We just staggered out. And sometimes we still do. We just stagger out. But he met every one of those needs along the way. Lesson learned. The baseline foundation. It's not my perception of calling. It's his anointing of calling. It's not your perception of vocation. It's his anointing. And God will interrupt our lives. He will interrupt them. It's what we do with the interruption. Do we hold on and believe God no matter what? And you better believe that when you get moved and shifted into even a faster lane, a truer lane, a different realm of what God is doing with you, you're going to come up against fiercer resistance from the world, from your flesh, and from evil. That's why we must train our faith to overcome. If we want to be used by God to finish the race, if we want to pursue the high calling of God and be worthy of it, as the word says, then we need to deal with ourselves. We need to renew these minds. And this in conclusion. We have been given the power of dominion. It was originally given in creation to Adam over every life force that there was. It was rebirthed in us in the power of dominion as kings and priests. Priests so that we can be that between man and God and to God ourselves and kings so that we have dominion. You have authority and power. The only reasons we fall short is because we lose in our baseline faith the power of dominion as a king. One of the greatest forces that you have dominion and power over, one of the greatest forces, not even heaven, 
It's your mind. That's the dominion. If you can take authority over your mind using the mind of Christ and the power of God, the word of God, and if you can establish in your mind the baseline faith that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall have any prosperity whatsoever. God shall meet every one of my needs according to his riches in glory. He'll supply them as I go forth. My faith, it is not based upon what I see. But my faith is the substance of things hoped for that I don't see yet, but I know it's there. And I know that it's a bedrock of my faith because Jesus Christ is my cornerstone. He's my head. He's my foundation. He's my all in all. And everything is through him. Everything is, everything is through him. So I can confess and declare that all things, all things work together for my good because I am called according to when we have that baseline faith, we're ready. But we haven't arrived. Paul says, I keep trying to apprehend that which I'm apprehending, but I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to keep reaching forward and upward as though I haven't apprehended it because he has more for me. And I need more. I need more of what he has. And I want it now. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you help us to grow in our faith. Help us to grow, Father, in our callings and in our lives. Help us to grow, Father, with peace and rest. Don't let us be agitated, Father, about what we did or don't do or what we think we won't be able to do or shouldn't have done. Father, we hand it all to you through Christ. And we ask you, Lord, as your gentle and as your mercies are new every morning, Father, that you refresh us that you refill us, and that, Father, you allow us to walk with that new creature mindset that accepts and declares you as victorious in all aspects of our lives. Father, find us worthy as you do in Christ. Use us, Lord, and help us, Father, to be worthy of the high calling of God in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take an offering. If you're online, please, uh, you may go to uh, all those things that you see up there on the screen. Touchheaven.com and donate. You can give by text, 330-845-6005. You can give by mail, Touch Heaven Church. You can mail it to 10 Skyline Drive, Campville, Ohio, 44406. And if you buy something on Amazon, go to that smile dot thing, put us in there, and they give us a few pennies. <laughs> Pennies are pennies. We multiply them in this church. I want to thank you uh, for what you're doing and continue to do with uh, our ministry and churches. Uh, we are still, by the grace of God, uh, very, very uh, uh, grounded in Africa and in India and in Israel. And uh, we, we want to continue to help them and bless them as best we can in our own small little way. Uh, you probably know that 10% of what you tithe goes right to missions, and uh, we use it and, and send it out monthly. We used to trickle it. Now we've decided it's better to send them a larger amount uh, at the end of a month than it is trickle amounts. Plus, it's, it's, it's wise, and we save money because it costs money to wire. Vince? Hi, Vinny. Everybody say hi to Bishop Vinny. You can turn to that camera back there. Hi, Bishop Vinny. How are you? Be careful of the mamba snakes, Vinny. Yeah, last time we were preaching there, we had the mamba snake trying to get up on the stage. The preaching was so good, he couldn't, he couldn't resist it. Okay, you're supposed to laugh. Do something. My Lord Jesus, help me out. Uh, Father, we, if, uh, by the way, I forgot to say if you wanted a envelope. You probably already got them. Um, it's all past tense. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your offering. We dedicate it to you. Bless those who could give and who couldn't give equally, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we be good stewards of everything that you put our hands to. We thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. We thank you, Father, for the clarion call to the kingdom in this house. 
Let it burn with a passion in us in all things. Keep your people safe, Father. Bless all your people here online. Bless the Touch Heaven family and all that you give us some influence with in any way, Father. Let us be true to your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Before Patty releases us, uh, just a few things. You were praying. Uh, I asked you to pray two weeks ago for two particular people. One was Fauci, 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 not Fauci. Fauci. He needs prayer. <laughs> Fauci. Fauci needs lots of prayer. But. Yes. Pray for him too, but you fast if you want for him. Fauci. Fauci is uh, Nita's, uh, uh, Nita's mom, Anwar's mother-in-law, and uh, they came with a crushing diagnosis a couple weeks ago that she had stage four cancer, advanced, and the diagnosis wasn't very good. Three days ago, she went back uh, to start some chemo treatments. They looked, and her lungs were completely clean. Now, a uh, very dear man to me, very dear to the kingdom, literally, uh, he calls me his big brother, I'm his little brother, Samuel Smajda, still needs restoration of his ureter. There was some damage done. God cleared him. He's, he's cleared of, of cancer, of, of the kidney and of the ureter, but there was damage done. So it's a restorative process. And I shared with him yesterday this miracle, I told him his is coming, and he said, tell the people thank you and amen. I said, you need to continue to declare it. You need to continue to accept it. You need to continue to say that the way you're living now is not your new way of life. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to continue to pray. I'm believing God for that miracle. I'm believing for it readily. And um, do we have any other space? Oh, Pat. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Jimmy and Ralph and Bruce, if you'd come up here, please. I want you to stand right here. Uh, Patty, I want you to come up. And uh, I'm going to ask them to anoint you. And we're standing in for Pat, our brother Pat. Pat Skyhill, Patty's husband. Um, Pat's having a rough time right now. And uh, we don't need to get into all the particulars. But we're going to believe God to touch him, to strengthen him, to restore him. Amen. And also to strengthen the household, to strengthen Patty, to uh, help take some of the burdens off of her. Uh, I call her Pistol Packing Patty. She's not very tall in physical, but she sure is a giant spiritually. And so I'm going to ask you men, somebody give them a uh, microphone, please. There you go. Father God, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we lift up Pat to you. Lord, a truly a man of God that has walked the walk and talked the talk. But now today, Lord, we're asking, we're asking you, we're coming in faith. We're agreeing as a church body here at Touch Heaven. We're reaching our faith, Lord, to touch the hem of your garment for Pat. Lord, and we ask now that you would restore his lungs. Yes. Father, yes. you would give strength to him, Lord God. You yes. would just give him a vision, Lord, to Whoosh. see him healed in Jesus' name. Father, we cry out to you this morning because we know how much we love him. But, Lord, how much you love him as well. And, Father, we thank you that 2,000 years ago that you paid it all. And, Lord, we lift up our sister right now, Pastor Patty, and we thank you, Lord, for her diligence and strength through it all, Lord, the steps that she's walked, Lord, and the race we know that's not finished, and I know that she's reaching out to the prize. And so, Father, we know that that prize today would be that her husband would be healed. And so we reach out with her, and we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in restoring Pat in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm going to ask you uh, to join us again this week as the Lord leads you in some fasting, whatever it is, some prayer for Pat, for Patty, and for our dear brother Samuel Smosh. Would you do that, please? How many of you could join me within prayer with that? I thank you for that. And the Lord will bring it to your heart uh, as he does many things. Amen. Patty, would you release us, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the revelation that we receive in this house. Thank you for the opening of our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have. Lord, bless each and every one, Lord, that's in this house. Bless their families. Bless everything that they put their hands to, Father. We thank you for your blessing rests upon the righteous. And, Lord, that you strengthen strengthen our hands to do the work that you've called us to do. Father, let us this time and this season, Lord, and let us recognize the calling and let us walk in the calling. And Father, we thank you that your mind, we have the mind of Christ, and that, Lord, we won't be distracted from the calling that you've called us to do. Lord, as you make it clear, we continue to walk. Bless these homes, Father. Bless our minds, our bodies. Touch and strengthen do all that you can do, Lord, which is everything within us, all through Jesus, all through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.